Thank you, choir and orchestra. I look forward to this evening when our choir and the choir at Brookland Baptist Church comes together and we're just going to have a night of joy at 6 o'clock. And so I look forward to that. Well, today we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount and we've come to the fifth Beatitude. The first four Beatitudes deals with our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And he began by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the beginning place is that I recognize my spiritual poverty. That I have nothing to commend me to God that I am a spiritual beggar before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn. Because of my condition, I mourn because that is not what I want. I don't want to be like that, so I mourn my condition. The third beatitude is, blessed are the gentle or the meek. Because of my condition, now then I become gentle or meek. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, so that is my desire. I now want the righteousness of God, I hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the four, first four Beatitudes then deals with my relationship to God, my vertical relationship. The next four Beatitudes deals with my horizontal relationship, my relationship to you, to man. And we see here how the first four Beatitudes affects my relationship to mankind. For instance, I, I, am re I recognize my spiritual poverty and because I am spiritually a beggar, then I extend mercy to you. I assume that you're the same way that I am, that I'm a spiritual beggar. You also are a spiritual beggar, having nothing to commend you to God, and so I extend mercy to you. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn, because I mourn over my condition. Now then, I, I want purity of heart. Because I understand my spiritual condition, the desire is that I have a pure heart. He then said, blessed are the meek, and because I am meek, because I am gentle, now then I can become a peacemaker. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then I am persecuted by those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the first four Beatitudes then deals with my relationship to God. The next four deal with my horizontal relationship, my relationship to mankind. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 1 and our focus is going to be on verse number 7. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. William Barclay wrote, even as it stands, this is surely a great saying 
And it is the statement of a principle which runs all through the New Testament. Blessed are the merciful. Contrary to what many people believe, mercy is not a natural characteristic. I know that there are those people who think that if I extend mercy to someone, then they will give mercy to me. In fact, that was the teaching of the Jewish rabbis. They said if one demonstrates mercy to another person, that person will reciprocate, that, mer that person will extend mercy to you. And there are many who think that. That if I'm nice to someone, then they will be nice to me. If I extend mercy to someone, they will then extend mercy to me. And in fact, that is also written into much of our foreign policy, believing that if we are merciful to others, then they will be merciful to me. If we are merciful to North Korea, if we are merciful to Iran, then they are going to extend mercy to us because they are reasonable people, because they are good people. Then I would ask the question, if mercy begets mercy, why is there child abuse? Some believe that mercy begets mercy. Others believe that mercy begets abuse. And if one is merciful to another, then they are going to be taken advantage of. And in fact, that was the belief of the Romans. One Roman philosopher said, mercy is the disease of the soul. So as we look at this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, there are those who believe that mercy begets mercy, those who believe that mercy begets abuse. The Romans believe that. Because they believe that, their families were merciless. In a Roman family at that time when a child was born, the child was placed at the feet of the father. And if the father were attracted to the child, he saw something good in the child, he gave a thumbs up, and the child lived. If there was something that displeased the father, then he gave a thumbs down, and the child died. The families were merciless. The citizens were merciless as well. It was legal in Roman society for a slave owner to abuse or to kill his slave. The system was merciless. It was the system that crucified Jesus, the most merciful of men they nailed to a cross. As I thought about Rome, and there are many things, as you know, that parallel our own nation today and what has happened to us, we also have become a merciless society largely. There are millions of children that have been aborted in the past several years because we have become a merciless society. So when I look at this, there are those who think that mercy is natural, but the Bible teaches us and experience teaches us that mercy is supernatural. It is a quality that comes from God. Albert Barnes wrote, Nowhere do we imitate God more than in showing mercy. The Greek word from which mercy comes is eleemon, from which we get our word eleemosinary, which means benefactor. And it is used in Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 17 where the writer wrote, therefore 
he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Mercy comes from Christ, our high priest. He was merciful. Lord, and that's what is mercy. There are different ideas, I think, that we have and we hold about mercy, but what is mercy? And let me just say, I think that mercy, first of all, is more than forgiveness. Now, it carries with it the idea of forgiveness. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul wrote, He saved us according to His mercy. So then the forgiveness that we receive comes out of mercy. He saved us according to His mercy. It was mercy that brought us forgiveness. Mercy carries with it the idea of almsgiving, to benefit someone who is in need. So when I'm looking at mercy to understand what it is, I would say that, that mercy is more than forgiveness, but it's less than love. It is more than forgiveness, it is less than love, because love produces mercy. The scripture says in Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Being rich in mercy, why? Because of his great love. So why does God extend mercy? Because of his great love. So mercy then is the result of love. Thus I would say that love is greater than mercy. And it is greater than mercy because mercy presupposes a problem. In order for there to be mercy, there must first of all be a problem. See, if, if someone commits a crime and they ask for mercy, there would be no need for mercy had there not been a crime. So in order for there to be mercy, there must be a problem. Love needs no problem. It requires no problem. I can love you without a problem. You can be loved, you can love without a problem. So I would say that love is greater than mercy. It is different than grace, not the same. I know that sometimes we think that they are one and the same, grace and mercy, mercy and grace, that they're one and the same, but they are not. Grace eliminates sin, for by grace are you saved. The Bible says that whenever we come to Jesus Christ and by His grace that we are born again, we become a new creation. We're a new person that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. So grace then eliminates sin. Mercy eliminates the punishment. Grace eliminates our sin. Mercy eliminates the punishment that goes with it. Thus, mercy means I don't get what I deserve which is hell. Grace means I get what I don't deserve, which is heaven. So mercy and grace are not the same thing. Grace eliminates sin. Mercy eliminates the punishment. Mercy is one with justice because God is merciful and He is also holy. And His holiness must be satisfied. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, you know, if, if, if you work, you expect a check. You expect your wages, right? 
The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a check that's coming. There is a debt that has to be paid. And the scripture says that Jesus paid that debt when he died on the cross. That's the reason the Bible tells us that Jesus is our propitiation, which means that he satisfied the holiness of God. God is merciful, but he is holy. And his holiness has to be satisfied. So Jesus then paid for our sins when he died on the cross. That he might extend to us mercy. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant the work that he had been called to do was finished. He had been called to die, to pay for our sins. The wages of sin is death. He paid for our sins. And when he cried out, it is finished, he had paid the debt for our sins. He had satisfied the holiness of God that he might give to us mercy. You see, because the debt has been paid, Jesus can now give to us mercy. But the debt had to be paid. Mercy is not natural, it is supernatural. God is merciful. The Bible tells us in Romans 9, 16, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. So the Bible tells us that God is merciful and gods are merciful. If you're a child of God, then you are a merciful person because your father is merciful. For instance, you know the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They assumed that he had died, but instead he became the prime minister of Egypt. There was a drought in the land, a famine in the land, and so the brothers needed to go to Egypt to get food. When they went, they actually stood before their brother Joseph. When they realized that it was Joseph, they were fearful for their lives because they had sold him into slavery. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph extended mercy to his brothers. Moses extended mercy to his sister Miriam. His sister Miriam was critical of Moses and his leadership. Because she was, God gave her leprosy. I've wanted to do that at times myself when someone did me wrong. But God gave her leprosy. Now what was Moses' response? His sister had been critical of him. God judged her by giving her leprosy. How did Moses respond? He prayed for her. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 13, And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Even though she had done him wrong, he prayed for her, prayed for mercy for her. He was merciful. David was merciful. Saul wanted to take David's life. He was jealous of David. So even though David had been such a submissive servant to Saul, Saul nevertheless, because of his jealousy, wanted to kill him. There were times when David had the opportunity to take the life of Saul, but he did not 
In 1 Samuel 24, 6, David said, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David extended mercy to Saul because he believed that he was the Lord's anointed. Now, Saul was unjust in his dealings with David, but David was merciful in his dealing with Saul. As Christians, and I told you when we got into the sermon, that the Sermon on the Mount is a description of what Jesus expects from us as his followers. You know, uh, sometimes we don't really have an understanding as to what it means to be a Christian, to follow the Lord. Uh, we think that it means to walk down the aisle, to shake the preacher's hand, fill out a card, and you know, sit on the pew. But that is not what Jesus is telling us here. He is telling us what it means to be a Christian. Not what it means to be a Baptist. Not what it means to be a religious person, but what it means to be a follower of Him. And he says that as a follower of him, we are to be merciful. John MacArthur wrote, For those of us who have received mercy, how could we be anything but merciful? Blessed are the merciful. How do we demonstrate mercy? Now, we, we, you know, we're talking about the, the idea, the concept here, but how do we demonstrate it? How do we live it out? See, it's one thing to have it up here, it's something else to live it out. So how do we live out mercy? Well, I think the most obvious way is to meet the physical needs of other people. That we minister to people with physical needs. St. Augustine was known for that. In fact, he would invite those people who had nothing to eat to dine at his table. I find it a little amusing, however, that he had engraved on his table, whoever loves another's name to blast... This table's not for him, so let him fast. Augustine would invite people to come and eat, but not to criticize. How do we demonstrate mercy? By ministering to people. And we have many opportunities. This church is a, is a church that ministers to the needs of people as we feed the hungry, as we seek to minister to those who have various needs, benevolent needs. We seek to do that. But that is the way that we demonstrate mercy. See, it's one thing to have the concept of mercy. It is something else to demonstrate mercy. We minister to physical needs. A person who is merciful does not hold a grudge against the one who has wronged them. David could have held a grudge against Saul because Saul had wronged him, but he didn't because that would not be merciful. Joseph could have held a grudge against his brothers, but he did not because that would not have been merciful. Mercy means that we don't hold a grudge. Let me ask you, do you have a grudge against someone? Folks, did you know that will just eat you up? It will just be there inside and destroy you inside. You have to deal with it. You know, sometimes we think because I hold a grudge against somebody, I'm getting even with them. No, you're destroying yourself. Mercy does not hold a grudge. You have to deal with that. Mercy does not retaliate. Look what Jesus said in verse number 39. You skip over there in the sermon. 
He said, but I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. You don't retaliate. When Jesus was on the cross being crucified for our sin, he prayed for those who put him there. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he prayed for those who were casting the stones at him. He didn't retaliate. You see, I, I know that there are a lot of concepts that we have in the church that are fine. And I mean, they're wonderful to think about, but we're supposed to be living them out. And when it comes to mercy, we are supposed to be living it out. So how do we demonstrate mercy? By physical ministry, by ministering to others. But it also carries the component of spiritual concern. Mercy is not just ministering to the physical needs of people, it also carries with it the spiritual component that we have a concern for those who are lost. If you are a merciful person, then you have a concern for those who do not know Jesus. Augustine wrote, If I weep for the body from which the soul is departed, should I not weep for the soul from which God is departed. Let me ask you, are you concerned about people who are lost, who have never come to know Jesus? John MacArthur wrote, if I was given mercy and pity from God's great heart, but did not let that same mercy flow to others, what kind of consistency would that be? I've received mercy, but I don't share mercy. What kind of consistency is that? To have mercy means that I am concerned for those who do not know the Lord. Thus, I confront them with the gospel. Paul wrote to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of of the truth. Okay. If I'm merciful, I am concerned about those who do not know Christ and I confront them with the gospel. We've just about quit doing that, haven't we? How long has it been since you shared the gospel with another person? See, we don't do it today because it's not politically correct. And actually, we don't share the gospel. Many of us do not share the gospel because we don't want people to think that we are narrow-minded, that we are haters, that we are bigots, because that's what we're told. And so we don't share the gospel. Let me, let me use this as a, an illustration. I have a number of Jewish friends I know what they believe, but here's the thing. If I believe what I say I believe, and what I believe is that Jesus is the only way of salvation, that Jesus Christ died for my sin, that there is no other way to the Father except through Him. That's what I believe. Now, if I believe what I say I believe, and this person is a friend 
what kind of a friend am I if I do not warn them about what I believe? So I would conclude one of two things. I don't believe what I say I believe or this person is really not my friend. So I share the gospel. I don't beat them over the head. I don't do that with any. I love them. In fact, I, you know Ronnie. I love Ronnie. He is a, he's, he's our guide in Israel. I love Ronnie. He's not a Christian. I've shared the gospel with him numerous times. But he knows I love him. Whether he ever becomes a Christian or not, I still love him. But because I believe what I believe, and he is my friend, I share the gospel with him. You see, to be merciful means that I am concerned about those who are lost to the extent that I am willing to confront them with the gospel and to pray for them. John MacArthur said, Our mercy can be measured by our prayer for the unsaved. The merciful person meets physical needs and spiritual needs. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the only beatitude that promises we receive what we give. That's the only one. I give mercy to the lost person. I share the gospel with them. I tell them about Jesus. To the saved person who has fallen astray, I give mercy to them. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so I am to share mercy with the saved person and the saved person who has fallen. And what does he say? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty receive God's mercy. And then they extend God's mercy to other spiritual beggars because that's what we all are. I have received mercy. I share mercy. Grace, I am saved by His grace, which eliminates my sin. I am extended mercy, which eliminates the punishment for sin. Have you received the Lord's mercy? Or is this just theory? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus and allow His grace to change you? If you haven't, I pray that you will today. Our Father in God, we come to you thanking you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I especially today pray for those who have never received your grace and they're still in their sin, I pray today, Father, that they would trust you, that their sins would be washed away as white as snow, removed as far as the east is from the west because of your grace. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Jesus, would you receive him today? Would you receive him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.